0: Hello and welcome to Beyond Beckdale, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host, Contrera. This week's intro is going to be very short and sweet and I'm not going to make an outro because this is a long episode of the podcast where we're dealing with some sensitive subjects. So as Courtney mentions later on in the episode... Uh, we should have a trigger warning here that we're talking about love, we're talking about emotion, we're talking about grief and some of the bigger events in life. This is because this is an episode about how films can change your life, how watching a movie can make you be a better person, how indulging in watching movies can help us better understand humanity. And I feel like that's something that we need in larger supply. So, I invited Courtney Hodgkiss, who has been on a previous episode of the podcast, please see the show notes for all the details about Courtney, to come and talk to me about her experiences of movies and what they mean to her. And in the end, we were able to come up with a list of 10 films that we think show humanity in its best light. So, with no further ado... Here are our top 10 films about what it means to be a human. Enjoy. Hello, Corny Hodgkiss. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me back. You're very welcome. It has been far too long, and I'm sorry that it's not in person. But um, I suppose for the purposes of listening, no one need know that. (laughs) How are you?
1: I am okay, thank you. I am in my little cocoon of my flat. Which seems to be where I've been for eternity, (laughs) yeah, Um, and will probably be for the rest of the year, considering what the government's trying to do. But hey ho, Mm -hmm. there's lots of time to watch excellent films when you are indoors, (laughs) and you're all excellent, yeah. Thank you, and
0: you're all dubbed (laughs) up and everything, so we can be the
1: pro vax
0: podcast.
1: I am full jabbed I uh was lucky lucky enough to be one of the clinically extremely vulnerable cohorts so I have been completely vaxxed since April Mm yeah
0: oh yeah
1: it's just very nice what an innovator and a show off that's what I
0: say (laughs) always wanting to be fair
1: admire my crappy non-existent immune system everyone
0: (laughs) yay uh well the reason why i wanted to have this podcast episode and talk to you specifically was actually because a lot of these things are a tweet because i am on twitter far too much but i find that uh the people i speak to on there and i think that's how we first interacted was it i think it was yeah on twitter um uh I, i feel like people give them more Um, like heartfelt tweets and really like don't censor themselves and of course there's lots of things about how terrible that is and all the horrible content on there and just people's real feelings coming out. But I refuse to think about the negative. And the positive is when something resonates with someone who I consider my friend, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of what that is. And for you, it was a tweet I saw, that was probably a couple of months ago now, which was about your viewing of Nomadland. Just a little bit of a spoiler for this uh, podcast. So um, before we go into anything in particular about any of the films we're going to talk about, I'll go through my process of wanting to make this episode. So I saw your tweet, and I'd like to ask you a bit more about that uh, in a bit, but I started to think there is something about film and TV and maybe other forms of art, but particularly those for me, where something can hit home more than anything else. And in these current times, boring as that sounds, um, I think we need the pleasure and the human feeling from watching these things that we get because we're not necessarily able to have that on a one-to-one and also we don't always have that when we go down the pub with someone we're not saying tell me your deepest truest (laughs) feelings about humanity but when I saw your tweet I thought oh Courtney is so moved by something that she feels she wants to share it to the world and express that Love, And I just thought that's something I wanted to capture in a wider discussion. So, um you were able to talk me through why you felt the need to to send your daughter. think there's more than one tweet actually, because you were were you speaking to the director for refresh us all on that
1: i I was so in a tears about this film that I actually contacted one of the producers, um a lady called Molly Asher, um. So sort of to wind back, I'll, it'll probably become clear why I wanted to contact her specifically. Um, but I went to see Nomadland, um as sort of my foray back into the cinema and real life um, after, you know, not having been able to, to access the cinema yeah. for the last 18 months or so. And I, to be honest, I wasn't that excited about going to see it. I was going to see <laughs> it sort of out of duty to to see sort of you know I'm interested in watching the Oscar lists and stuff like that um I'd seen an interview done with the producers and Chloe Zhao the director and writer uh, and producer as well by Timothy Chalamet <laughs> um, oh that's yeah <laughs> how, how long have we been recording seven minutes <laughs> I've, I've got that in there um <laughs> which piqued my interest um so I sort of, I went along and I went on my own and I, I had pretty low hopes, to be honest.
0: Really? And, and the That's
1: first really, yeah, the, the subject matter didn't interest me from what I'd read about it. Mm. It sounded potentially pretty slow. Um, and I think historically, in terms of things that have won best picture at the Oscars, yeah, I Just haven't really got on with them that much. They always seem to be a bit overblown, a bit super American, Mm -hmm. like you know, heavily thematic on you know the triumph of will and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh god, this is going to be a a beatdown. And the first thing that piqued my interest about it was the title, the title sequence, the title card, yeah, which was so indie. It surprised me. It was just white lettering on a black background. Mm -hmm. No line of producers before it <clears throat> you know the executive producers aren't mentioned before it you know there's no music there's nothing it's mm. incredibly stripped back and I kind of went "Ah, oh, okay that's not really what I was expecting at all um, and I don't want to go too too much into the plot you yeah. suffice it to say there well, isn't a huge amount of plot <laughs> yeah well we we, um, we we can do this we can do this a
0: bit more in detail about the film when I've um uh, talked about all the categories but I suppose yep. maybe I'm I'm being a bit unfair but let me ask you to just summarize like just at the yeah end, after watching the film don't have to talk about any detail we'll, we'll get there Yeah. what
1: compelled you to write to Molly Asher I was in bits yeah. for about three days afterwards um and there was the emotional surprise. reaction yeah. physical emotional Huge. reaction
0: in a cinema Huge. that you felt yeah. watching this on the big screen
1: yeah yeah I was on my own you know wearing a mask my mask was absolutely saturated by about halfway <laughs> yeah. through um you know I was I was audibly sobbing at one point and I've you know it was a it was a real gut punch which is great you don't get that very often and it certainly took me by surprise and it stayed with me which I think is the the real test of a film um you know I left I left the cinema um, and immediately rang my husband and said you have to come and meet me for a drink because I can't go home because I need to talk to you about this film because I can't stop thinking about it and then sat in a pub while I just spoke at him for about an hour. Oh, he hasn't seen I've...
0: it, and he's married too. Yeah.
1: To you, so you know, that's the ideal <laughs> combination of person. <laughs> you know, he sat there politely nodding, which was, you know, nice of him. <laughs> um, yeah. And then a couple of days later, I, it was still bouncing around my head, and I just felt like I I needed to make a connection with the the people who had made it. I needed to let them know what that film had done to me. Yeah. And what I took from that film was a uniquely female um, experience. Um, And that's why I chose to reach out to Molly Asher, who was um, the only female producer besides Chloe Zhao, Ah. um, on that film, Mm. um, to let her know. So, yeah. That is
0: that is the essence of this episode. You have perfectly distilled it, which is these movies that are made where something within them, even though it, it's not our story, it can be our story, but I think from our choices, a lot of these are not directly yours or my story. Quite a few of mine are in outer space. It's not my story, as far as I'm aware. Um, uh, the, you, the universe... Of the humanity hits you that you have to tell other people about it. Um, and I think that's something that should be cherished and discussed more. So lo and behold, I saw this, I chased you down. I was like, oh we need, we need to talk about this because I'm I'm so like I, I was drawn into your reaction. Um, so it was almost like a kind of pay it forward of of human emotion. So I thought, well, yes. let's come up with each of our top five you 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 were the one who actually mentioned humanity i was trying to come up with what what are these films films about love films about emotion films about the commonality of of human thought but i suppose just like transcending human movies uh irrespective of who you are and where you sit in a particular particular group uh, that, that, I really have just made it the longest title ever. Shall we just say <laughs> mo- movies about humanity? <laughs> <laughs>
1: things, that, things that stick with you after you've seen them, things that you have to talk about. Yes. Think about yeah. Yeah. Top
0: five movies that stick with you and <laughs> force you to make other people go and see them as well. Before we go into more detail about the individual films, I tried to come up with some categories as well, just to whet the appetite. Uh, so the five categories are number one, we'll, we'll, we'll start with uh, films starring a woman, obviously on brand for Beyond Bechdel, uh, although you have an option that uh, was made by a woman, directed by a woman and has a big team and I have something that uh, was made by a man, which unfortunately is going to be a bit of a theme of mine. Um, Next category, something about something other than ourselves that we'll never likely experience, but still deeply resonates. Also another catchy category. Um, uh, Number three, uh, what I was calling the unexpected medium film, but actually, I mean, this is anime and how anime affects us. Uh, The the fourth category, uh, a film about specifically female issues. And the final fifth category, uh, a film that fails the Bechdel test and still speaks to us. So, with no further ado, we'll go to category one. And your first film is Nomadland. We'll rewind, you go into the cinema, you'd seen the title card. You were like, oh, hey, oh this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And
1: yeah. then talk me through the rest of your emotional journey. I mean, it's... It is a film about a lot of very heavy subject matter. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the themes with all of the films I think I'm talking about today is grief. Um, So I'm sorry um, if that needs a trigger warning or anything. Um, But uh, it seems very relevant to talk about that now, particularly in um, the shadow of what's happened, particularly in this country over the last year. Um, and you know nomadland is is probably dealing with the grief of person, the grief of the loss of the American dream. Um, it It is really tackling a huge amount of incredibly weighty subjects, mm. And it does it all with a real deafness of touch and an incredibly strong use of landscape and lack of sound design, um, which gives it a huge amount of space to breathe, and it gives the audience a huge amount of time to really ruminate on the points that are being made. Um, the dialogue is super sparse. Like, it is not a dialogue-heavy film at all, and the landscape, if you haven't seen it on a, on a big screen, you have to, because I just... I. I feel very strongly that this film should not be watched on telly. I think Francis McDormand said that it is. It is worth it because it becomes very immersive. Yeah. Um, and because I'd, I'd watched this interview with the producers um, a, a few times before I went to see it, um, I sort of went in with these very preconceived notions, um, and they were just they were just flawed completely. Um, it's very hard to put words to because everything I say sounds trite in regards to the way I feel about it. Um, I think there is something really special about the way Chloe Zhao directs an American landscape. Yeah. So she's got um, almost not an outsider's view, but she's got more distance from from, you know, what it means to be an American in America these days, um, you know, and living off grid and and shunning the American dream is, is, is just indicative of so much of what's going on nationally and internationally at the moment. Yeah. It's just there are some huge broad brushstrokes that are accomplished here with so little fuss, and Frances McDormand's performance isn't isn't a performance so much as she just becomes this character. That there is no Frances McDormand in this film whatsoever. Um, yeah, and there, there is something very uniquely female, I think, about the resilience that is shown um, by her character. The way that she chooses to grieve and to process that grief, and her and her strength, and also the way that she becomes part of that landscape that she is travelling through and becomes a part of, yeah. um, which I think is um, very deftly a- accomplished. It just it deserves all the awards. I cannot emphasise enough how much you should go see it and probably take tissues. <laughs> There's something about when,
0: when a film is rewarded and it actually meets your expectations, mm. which unfortunately is is still quite a rarity. I remember thinking this about Moonlight. I was so happy when Moonlight won over La La Land, even after all that fiasco, yeah. because I thought that was a film, which isn't actually on my list. It was kind of on my longer list but that was a film that really moved me about a specific person's situation and quite a small story because Nomadland again yeah I think and um, I think you're totally right about grief there is a part in the film where because it's quite cinema verite as well you've got this almost pseudo documentary style even though it's fiction yes she has she peppers she, um, peppers all the the um film's plot with real life people which obviously it's brilliant, but she gets she gets good performances out of them as well, and I know she mm. kind of does that. But the guy who runs the camp, whose son has died, I I cry my eyes out both times at that, and I think that um you could say that that that's so truthful because it's it actually is real. So to put that in yeah. there, in there is um uh, you know is brilliant. I'm I'm, I'm glad she did, and I was really moved, but at the same time it was also watching someone's actual feelings whereas Frances McDormand goes through it in a way like you said I love that you said about her becoming the landscape that's just a perfect metaphor here or allegory and um, uh, she she is at one with nature in a way that most people are not yeah. nowadays and I think another way that it becomes a female story is how um her husband died and that's how this whole thing started and so many women to this day outlive their husbands that Mm. to have a a second life or a a a different life after your your relationship has ended. Uh, But this is an extreme example of that. But um, but still, it's it's kind of a tale about being who you are as an individual rather than as part of a society-acceptable couple, which I think also makes this so human because it's one person and one person's experience of this that... W- would only ever be played in that way.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a really interesting scene about three quarters of the way through the film where you've seen her traveling throughout America in her house, which is her van, um, and events take her to uh, being in someone's house again mm-hmm. for a period of time, and that feels incredibly claustrophobic <laughs> for the audience. You can feel that she's uncomfortable with four balls around her you can feel that you know there's these family scenes going on she doesn't really you know it's not awkward no one's rude to her you know she's not rude but it doesn't fit yeah and it it was making me um quite agitated watching those scenes like you've got to get out of there This just this isn't you anymore um so so yeah it it's just just go see it. Go see it, and take me again. i Oh, <laughs> well, I don't know. All that,
0: all that crying. Well, I'm just not sure. <laughs> sit, sit, let's have social distancing. That's no. all social, right. Socially distanced grief. And um, so, yeah. So, in terms of like how this fits in the category. It, it is about being a human being really isn't it it's about everyone has to like you know there's things of her like washing her clothes and going to the toilet and the bit when yeah. plates uh, when David Stratham breaks her plate oh. which on the second oh. viewing for me was was so much better because I knew that part was coming so it's a bit of a spoiler but you won't really know um but um I,
1: I, because when it first happened... I, I gasped in the cinema yeah, yeah. it's
0: such a small moment but that's so human for us to um put such love into inanimate objects and fill them with emotions and then for that to be destroyed as if that somehow destroyed us Uh, and that's like a tiny scene that happens really quickly and he doesn't even know quite what he's done because it's not imbued in him in the same way that uh yeah so a story of grief a woman's particular story, later in life, but in no way um, showing that she's got... She's so brave. Uh, no. Just all that stuff with, like, tyres going and things like that and trying to fix yeah. up her van. And I'm like, because it's not just that I don't know how to do these things. I worry about the, like, the strength that's required yeah. and, and things like that and just being able to sleep and how cold she is. There's a. But I think yeah. think you have nailed, nailed it on the head, which is the film is the feeling that you'd feel if you were going through this she is one with the environment and as the yeah American corporate dream collapses around them she sees people with a strength of spirit that has absolutely nothing to do with all the tick boxes of what we think we need to have a successful life
1: I think there's something in there as well, um, definitely about being able to choose your own family and your family not necessarily being the people that you were born. Yeah. You know, born into. Because even though she's a very solitary character, she has intermittent periods of time where she meets up with her fellow travelers and she's very quickly accepted into this really friendly group of people mm. who all have their own little idiosyncratic idiosyncraticies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, foibles. that's one of with foibles. Um, and and they're all also very happy to spend the majority of their time on their own with with only these intermittent meetups, and that just suits her so well. Yeah. Um, so I think I think there is you know something about finding your tribe. Um, Do you think as, you would a, have a, felt so strongly if there hadn't been a pandemic, or is that an an impossible question to ask you? Um, without wanting to get too heavy. Um, I wonder how much I was affected by it because I um, nearly died a couple of years ago just before the pandemic. So uh, to catch the listeners up. yeah um, I, <laughs> I, I basically had a very um, uh, serious health emergency where I sort of went into multiple organ failure and mm-hmm. was on a ventilator for a, a number of months and in a coma and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I very nearly died. Um and I am wondering how much this film probably would have affected me if I hadn't had that experience myself. Um I've also been um around a lot of people recently who have lost people in the pandemic. So yeah, I mean things do feel very raw on that level for me at the moment and for I think for society generally. I think, I think potentially um, my reaction wouldn't have been as visceral initially. I probably wouldn't have have sobbed so hard.
0: We all feel a little bit closer to death, you more than most. And also I'd like to tell the listeners how you were far too cheerful about the whole thing because I didn't know exactly what was happening. It's <laughs> like, to the bitter end, you were joking about things to the point where I was like... Is this really happening? oh my God cool. nah. <laughs> uh, I'm so happy that uh, you're on the mend again
1: Thank um, you thank you any final thoughts on Naomi? um no, I mean I just I'd love anybody who has seen this to give their feedback to me. I'd love to hear what other people feel about this um, me too, yeah. so yeah, get in touch on on Twitter at Courtney is here mm-hmm. um If you, if you would like to talk about sobbing in. (laughs) We're only on the first film,
0: Courtney. Oh my God. I need
1: you to, I need you to send a message to the other sites.
0: I don't understand. What is your purpose here? How can you know the future? Right, okay. So, moving to the second one. Have you seen the film I'm about to speak about?
1: I have, but I haven't seen it recently, so the memory is a Mm. bit vague. Mm so the film i'd like to talk about and
0: i have mentioned it on the podcast before because it really is a recent favorite of mine is uh Denis Villeneuve's Arrival um which for the uninitiated is a film starring Amy Adams about a linguistic scientist i think who uh is tasked with trying to communicate to some very strange kind of half tree half spidery aliens that come to earth and so on the surface it's seen as a classic sci-fi film. Uh, and it's based on, on a story, which I think is, called the, is it called the Story of Us. It's a very famous short uh, short story about the nature of time, which is something I'm particularly interested in. And also I, I like sci-fi. But why I wanted to mention this film is that it, it affected me on a level I didn't really understand when I first saw it and didn't know this is what I was getting into because you just kind of make assumptions about, science fiction films that perhaps they're they're not going to be hugely emotional because there's an action element and also because the mere preservation of life i.e you know no oxygen you'll die or or similar is more the kind of prevailing attitude which i think is why people like sci-fi films so much because they're you know they're, they're very exciting but also as we'll see as we continue this episode um there is something and i think you said this to me actually i'm going to steal it there's something about seeing <laughs> human beings from a long way away i.e through the the kind of the the uh, lens of a, a telescope on mars that can make you appreciate what it's like to be human and what we go through and although the film isn't through the perspective of the aliens we very much get a sense of their they want to help humanity because they see something good in it and also selfishly they need humanity to help them in the future um so I, i liked that because that 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 resonated with me because most alien films are about ugly looking things that want to kill you and want to, you know, there's some kind of alpha beta thing always going on with alien movies where someone's trying to destroy humanity. And it's as if War of the Worlds, it's as if we don't matter, which I think is also an important thing that humans don't want to think about I uh, still think we're <laughs> at her so much um and also that uh, it's a collective crisis of a species there there aren't many more uh, ways that you can feel like your fellow woman when you're all potentially going to be extinct and the thing that you share is that you have the you know same biological kind of needs and and uh, species uh whereas This isn't really about that so in some ways you could say it wouldn't resonate but the story is actually part sci-fi part sort of clever time travely, timey-wimey concepts but also a big part about being a mother and loving Uh, and I'm a person without children and um, it's still but you know I'm a woman and I love people. And I still felt that um, the message of the film, I think I'm going to have to get into some spoilers now. It's really hard with a time travel circular narrative in a film because basically I think the end has happened. It's been out Yes, is that how long yeah. it is? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it like 10 times. Um, uh, you can tell something's good for me when I want to kind of watch it again straight afterwards. And yeah. it's only because there's something within it of a sci-fi nature that you kind of want, oh, now I know this. I can go back and and uh, look at it again, but yes, okay. So uh, spoilers. Um, uh, Amy Adams knows throughout, or, or starts to learn throughout the film that she's seeing flashbacks or forward flashes to what's going to happen to her, and that she will have a child, and that child will die while they're still a child and um the film is so clever the way event, i don't know who his editor is and i apologize but the way they cut it to make it make perfect sense when you're actually seeing things which is a, it's something that film can do that other mediums can't always which is you can edit in something which you know will make sense later on in the movie even though your brain's saying what's a random thing with a kid um <laughs> the, the way that um its message to me is that Adams' character is going to decide to go through immense pain because of, one, the joy she's going to receive as well, and two, that it's for a larger cause. And to to me, that's what really gets me. If you want to talk about, you know, the thing that makes me cry or or makes me feel bonded to my fellow human, it's the idea of doing things for the purpose only of love or for something good. I'm not particularly interested in pure selfless acts because there is a little part of me which is a bit of a bitch which is like you get off <laughs> you're getting off on the martyrdom like I'm not I'm not I'm not big into martyrdom I like to think oh, you're doing this a bit for you you're doing this a bit for other people that that makes me feel like a well-rounded film but it was it was that part that when you get to the end of the movie she's finally put all the pieces in place knows what's going to happen has the ability to stop it and save herself some pain maybe or try and change her future and she doesn't and yeah. that appeals to me one because I think it's very human uh because there are lots of films where people do really ridiculous noble things and I don't think it's warranted and I think this was two it's actually something in a way that's very small and personal which is her own having of a child in that relationship uh and uh three it's like she does something small which actually like changes the whole future of humanity so you put all those Mm. things together and I'm utterly
1: destroyed Um, oh yeah what did what do you think of it well when you saw it um I I have enjoyed your retelling of it <laughs> more than I, I sort of enjoyed it the first time. Really? You know, I not um <laughs> Actually, yeah, because I really need to see June. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I wasn't hugely affected by it the first time I saw it. Mm. Um, however, I saw it at a period where I wasn't very healthy. So my memory of it is a bit um hazy and um when I was quite unwell I was finding it quite difficult to concentrate on stuff properly so I really do owe it another watch um which I will do um I probably should have done it before this well, <laughs> don't worry I haven't watched I haven't watched all of yours if you think I'm gonna watched that
0: whole series that we are about to talk about no
1: one has time for that yeah <laughs> um <laughs> insert a gift yeah <laughs> Um, I think it's very interesting the way that you um, have framed it being very much around um, the journey that she takes to come to the decision about um, uh, carrying on to have her daughter anyway, which has just made me think is the film actually called Arrival because...
0: Oh yeah! Yeah, good thinking. Do you know what I've never even talked about? Because obviously, the, the the obvious is all these twelve spaceships come down and then just arrive. So of course, that's the that. Yeah, I love it when there's a deeper meaning to it. Yeah, never yeah. thought about that. Um, yeah, I think arrival and, as well is about yet yeah, a time thing. Like arrival means you're expecting something to come and forwards in time.
1: <laughs> you're the female Christopher Nolan.
0: So. Uh, I've written, a, I've written a screenplay recently for a series. of Also, if anyone else is listening, um, uh, about the concept of that because I'm so obsessed with it. And we'll see as we as we get on. I, I don't know. And the question I want to ask you though is that, and um, you were really? like, "Oh, I need to see it again because of how I've put it across." crossed you do you, yeah. you probably don't know the answer to this off the top of your head but has anyone ever convinced you to watch something based on how enthusiastic they were about it because like the next film we're going to talk about i'm like mm, and you're mm, and um uh maybe i'll use that as a segue actually so uh yeah sorry first has anyone ever can you is anything sprung to mind right okay what
1: tell remind me when we get to that so hmm. oh yeah um, actually one of the things that we talk about a bit further down the line um yeah um but yeah i'm very easily influenced by um by other people's uh, reviews so i listen to i listen to quite a few um film and tv podcasts um every week and most of what i watch is based on their recommendations so but you generally agree because sometimes
0: I'll be like, all
1: right then. And then I'll be like, oh no. Oh, so like no. there's there's certain people's opinions I will I will go out of my way to not watch things that they like because I just know we haven't got the same taste at all. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, for the most part, I tend to listen to people with I live I live in an echo chamber. I like to listen to people <laughs> who I agree with. <laughs> no judgment here.
0: No judgment. No.
1: I mean in terms of film and film and cinema, that is anyway, I don't really want to. Listen to somebody talk about Mayans MC, um, the TV show for an hour a and a half. Not recently, and I'm
0: like, I don't even know where that is.
1: I think yeah. it's about a motorcycle club. It's like a violent oh, motorcycle club. to do with the Mayan. No, <laughs> that's what MC stands for. I was literally going to say, what? What's the MC? Yeah, no, nothing to do with the actual Mayan people. I was thinking like BC, <laughs> not BC. <laughs> That's my show, Mayan's BC. What you two had, had everything and nothing to do with intelligence. He was good. You were both lucky to have found each other because you two are good. I think he was better than It was than me. I'm sure he'd say the same thing about <laughs> you. Mm? Say the same thing.
0: Right, okay, next category. Uh, ah. So, next category is a film um, that resonates with us, but there's about something that really we cannot possibly experience for ourselves. And this was one of the first films when we were talking about this that you wanted to talk about it immediately hit you. So your choice for this is
1: call me by your name. Oh, starring Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. And oh, is it for the else. drinking
0: game? Start your drinking now for the best uh.
1: Chalamet. We'll call um. it the Courtney Chalamet drinking, drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> Not for well, him as deep. Oh, it is deep and pure. Um, you know, it's problematic as well, but we'll leave that to one side. No, I think it's fine. He's <laughs> It's fine right now. Let's, let's, stick, let's stick with that. Okay? Um, this film is just beautiful. Everything about it is beautiful. The way it is shot, the way it is told, the colours, the music. Luca Guadaginio I think is how good my to Italian me? Yeah. is terrible my apologies <laughs> um he has a very specific style that um he carried on from this film into a mini-series he did last year called We Are Who We Are we are yeah or Who We Are yeah sorry I love that show it was, yeah. oh Thank it you. was see I if you mm. love that I don't understand how you. Oh, I don't on. like yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, you're going to be so excited about this. How <laughs> I the podcast with me slamming your choice. But, um, <laughs> you carry on. Um, there is so I. I didn't see this until last year. I was very late off the boat, and I watched it on a absolutely stinking hot summer's day, <laughs> where the weather here matched the weather on screen, and you are just taken completely to 1983 somewhere in northern Italy. Everything about it is perfect. The set design is incredible. I want to live with his parents. They seem like the greatest people I have ever never met. <laughs> um you know it's it's a story of first love and of finding yourself and working out who you are. Um, but it's just it's an it is an ethos. it is a feeling. it is it is just the most beautiful painting of a place and a time that um I can possibly imagine. Um, and I find, I mean, even though the characters are a little bit, okay, potentially they're a little bit unrealistic. I don't know how many seventeen year olds. No, seventeen languages, and you know, <laughs> notate down sheet music for fun. Um, but you know, in this world, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet and Michael Stuhlbarg absolutely own this film. Um, Army Hammer could be played by anyone. I don't think he brings anything particular to this at all. Um, oh, well, I, I don't think, know
0: he's very he's very beautiful, and he's got that older older man thing too. like it has to be someone within a kind of that kind of demographic,
1: yeah, I find his performance wooden um to be honest, and I don't see what Elio would particularly find interesting about him
0: well, That's my own show,
1: personal anyway. opinion um and I just, I love it, I love it, I wish I lived there and, um, you know, it just, it will exist in my heart forever as a perfect Mm. piece of visual cinema.
0: So this is resonating with you not because, it seems like to me that that actually what I thought was the core message of the movie, the love between the characters, is actually not the thing that you're most identifying with, which kind of makes sense because you're not a gay man, but... um, (laughs) just in case you weren't sure um and um <laughs> uh it's you it's more for you that you feel like it's um it's a feeling yes that you get from it and also yeah. the parental part of it and the fam familial it's more about the familial than it is necessary about the kind of awakening sexual love. is that fair
1: yeah I think so I mean um I'm a sucker for a love story and you know the first and the second and third time you see that, that particular love story play out, it rips your heart out and leaves you an empty shell. Um, but the thing that stays with me about it is I just, I am drenched in the colour of it, the smells, the taste. There's so much about about food, about apricots, you know, this this really a lush peach. landscape. <laughs> I wasn't, <laughs> peaches. Peaches make, make a cameo that I think most people won't forget in the <laughs> hurry. In the tone, you carry on <laughs> um you know and i think without without sort of sounding trite because i, I do adore him i think timothy chalamet fits into that landscape really perfectly um he is he's quite similar to leo in that he's kind of a rena- renaissance young man you know he's got He's fluent in two languages. He went to an art school. So it's very believable that he inhabits that character very easily. And Michael Stuhlberg just is is just glorious. It was like a really good year for him or period yes. for him. Wasn't he
0: in like, he was in um Shape of Water? shape of water and then he was also I think it's this was around the same time I remember I watched a lot of films in a row and he was there <laughs> Miss Sloan have you seen the film Miss Sloan it's no very good film. I highly recommend it Jessica Chastain and she's a lobbyist but he's in that and I love it it's just it's lovely seeing someone with like such a breadth of work and you get to yeah. see it all at the same time and he just he's just a lovely person to look at as well I don't yes. just mean in a Fancying or what have you wear? I just think some people just look great on screen, and I think Michael Stahlberg's one of them.
1: He emanates this kind of this gentle kindness from him in this film. This well put. Yeah, you could you feel like you could go to him with anything, and and you would be comfortable. I think it's a conscious choice in the film that they have edited down the part of the mother quite significantly. Well, yes um yeah because in the book um she is more prevalent but um it, this is a film about male relationships though and 100%
0: also, the part the beyond Beckdale part of me is like i don't like this because i still think yep. you can make a good enough book but the the uh, appreciation of something which is a, uh, like a specific male types of love yeah I, I understand why there's a focus on that so I can, I can forgive it but it's always sad when you hear that um, things have been changed from the book or from a previous source material like they did quite a lot of that within the heights they, they minimised a few female mother oh, characters right. it seems to me that um, in order to kind of push forward a an excellent fatherly a uh, character you, yep. you kind of minimize the motherly as if do you know what I mean and I just feel like well no you can you can have a great mom and a, and a great dad and you shouldn't
1: yeah but then I suppose screen time as well so that's I think it. I think the original the original cut came out at three hours or something so they had to they had to make some pretty schmick editing decisions um which is a shame really I'd love to see the uncut version one day Mm, I'm sure it's
0: there if we can get all our Zack Snyder and
1: Luca. We'll yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, so that is that is my film of of I don't know. Um
0: So it resonates with you because give us your uh I don't know
1: not log line summary. It's it's another one that's just stayed with me. It's it's stayed with me forever and um and I will always have a yearning to to experience that kind of landscape in that in that way, I think. Oh, lovely. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not
0: gonna go and slag it off. Oh, I could spend another half an hour telling you all the things I hate. and that will no, be. No, tell, tell me, tell me. Uh, uh, oh, oh, just a f- well, all right then. But just a few things because people love this film so much. I think you've you've touched on this, and I'm going to expand. It's fucking pretentious that film. Yeah. And I think <laughs> when I watched it, I felt a bit like, am I excluded from this narrative because, like, I don't really know any other languages. I like, think I was quite smart and then after all these people. Uh, And the mother thing does bug me and I also think that the father is um, uh, when he starts getting into a lot of, uh, this is when it cannot speak to me, okay, so maybe what we can say about this podcast is that it speaks to you because you can see something in a universal way of feeling, if I'm getting too much into the nitty gritty when the fact that um, Stallbug's dad, like he has to talk about the ancient Greeks and he has to talk Mm. about oh I did a bit of this, I'm like can't you just love your son because your son's your son? I know he's trying to say, I understand, but I think you can have empathy without having to have somehow said you did all the same things. Mm -hmm. Like his mom can still love Elio, even though she couldn't possibly. So there was a bit of the, I I thought there was a bit of laboredness there. um, To that relationship, which was the absolute opposite of what they're trying to convey and who am I to say um and then also my final issue is that there's a lot of like sex and love get very mixed up in this yeah and that's not to say they're not related but sometimes I felt like um there was a lot of lust which everyone was calling love yep and I was like I don't think things had developed enough until further on through the film. Then, I, you know, I do, believe, I do believe there were feelings of love. For me, it was more about first lust and first understanding of who who you are. But the message of the film, like you said, the way it's made, absolutely beautiful, but some things just didn't
1: quite sit with how I am, and that's absolutely fine. I think that is a completely valid point to make, actually, because there is, especially towards the beginning of the film, Elio is hooking up with Marcia who, you know, he has a very physical relationship with and that sort of crosses over into his physical relationship with Oliver and she falls head over heels in love with him completely And, and he you know dismisses her out of hand because he has this thing well going he, on with. I don't know I think he's like it's not the same because yeah. another
0: thing another thing as well is this, this film about people who are bisexual or is this film about people who are gay and well, then the society was trying to make them because I always felt like he did have a love for her but like in a the sex thing was almost like a separate thing a means to an end but yeah. the feelings he has for her are more like you're my cousin sister kind of yeah. I never thought he I think he dismissed her feelings towards him as if they couldn't be the same as his towards Oliver's, which was is like a for me, it's like a teenage thing. But I think it's yeah.
1: captured beautifully. Hmm. Quick, say something nice about it. So we don't well, like- I, think, I think they are all completely valid points. It is incredibly um, pretentious. I I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I just checked that at the door to be honest, because yeah. you, you have to you have to just run with it. But honestly if I knew these people in real life I'd probably hate them. <laughs> that's a good
0: segue so I'll segue on to my film which is actually one of the most schmaltzy films ever made and that you have to check the schmaltz at the door which is classic coming et and if you don't know the plot I'm very concerned about anybody <laughs> listening to this when we were coming up with this list and I thought what's something that stayed with me since I was a child I wasn't I, I think I saw it I don't know I wasn't a young young child but I was certainly I don't know like 10 or something. I don't know when I first saw it. It was on like it was on like BBC or ITV. It definitely made the move to terrestrial TV at that point. And um this film has something for everybody. I think you can be anyone and you can see yourself within it. Um I've always had a soft spot for Drew Barrymore ever since she was young. Oh. Kind of. She is gorgeous in that film. Yeah, I just, and it's so naturalistic that um perhaps I see myself more in her. Uh, but also E.T. Like, E.T. is like, you know, and you're anthropomorphizing uh, an alien. I get that. But E.T. is pretty ugly looking if you think about it. So <laughs> the fact that we all think he's so cute and adorable and can immediately picture this weird square visor head. I'm not a child anymore. I'm not a parent. I'm not a single parent. Um, and we all know that Spielberg has a lot of these issues with talking about like horrible dads and and strong mothers, which you know is abs- is absolutely great, and he can frame it within this film. But I think really ET is about. It's also about loss. Not that, there's a grief mm. aspect, but it's about loss of a sense of self because ET get you know is here and doesn't know what to do, but just needs he knows he needs to find yeah. home. Also, I had a um speaking spell when I was younger, so it's but it's, it's really like ooh, uh, seeing that um and also like Elliot's bond with him. It's like something that, you know, we'll never really understand, but maybe, maybe to a pet, I don't know. Maybe how I feel yeah. about Rugu, it feels like the <laughs> same relationship. <laughs> but that's something that lots of people are having, and that no, he's mine. Um, uh, M- Mando is the only person I'll, I'll have a fight with. You know, I can just think of, like, scenes automatically, obviously things like when they, the joy of when they start, uh, for bike flying and the heartache of when et is dying or whatever and he's in the kind of bubble tent oh god it's the vis- visual cues in that film the flower dying there's so many different things that you can point to um but even the noises et make that makes you think i just understand this on like a really base level um, because in in a way that like uh, Nomadland doesn't really have that much of a plot. ET's plot is actually really the simplest things, and that's how they say you make the, the the best movie. It doesn't focus on anything for too long, except for this relationship between Elliot and ET and and the rest of the family, but but also and the, the desperate need to get him back to his people. I I, I feel like a way maybe that I look at humanity again, my advantage of this is that it's through the eyes of ET seeing all people the same that that it's it's something about the non-judgment and also mm-hmm. assuming that everybody is good and is going to help you. There aren't really any terrible bad people in ET too and I think if they made it now, I know you've got like, I don't know, the FBI or whoever it is who's coming in because the alien thing and they're kind of made just that, you know, the guys with the hats are there for and the suits are the the bad guys, like Adjustment Bureau style. But really, no one's truly bad. This is just people who don't understand a different species and assume the worst. But it it is just about love and how you can just feel love for something, somebody, some species, without even really knowing them because of just basic needs of wanting to help them feel safe. I think it's a really joyous film. Um, Yeah and and like nomadland is not is not joyous you can understand the human condition no. but there's a lot of there's a lot of pain and that's and that's good i think it's a way to, to, to you know to feel closer to your fellow man but i think et is actually just about like the joy in the small things that we take for
1: granted mm. i hate it <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> And I'll tell you for why. It is is an irrational hatred because I was taken to see it at the cinema when I was about five, I think. And the only thing I remember from that is getting hysterically upset when he got taken (gasps) away by the the scientist. I lost my shit. I mean, and that is what has stayed with me from that film is seeing an innocent creature tortured or what you presume is just tortured as a five-year-old um, by these horrible men in suits so but that's fair that's
0: entirely fair one you're five yeah so there you go and like two like it, it's that is the bit that stays with everybody I'd yeah. say um, it taps into our fear of people not understanding us and then causing us pain. Yeah. I would say, watch it again as an adult, <laughs> and then you might be a little bit cured of your I don't know if I've been there. the things we watch nowadays are like much, much worse in terms of like you know, medical professionals <laughs> doing experiments. But I think that's a completely fair understanding and i do think as well like that uh, one of my issues with spielberg is that people say he makes children's films and i don't think he does i think he makes films for adults recalling the feeling of their youth and that's not the same thing yeah there's something about seeing other kids in danger Mm -hmm. or seeing an alien in danger in your in your case which can make children frightened yeah i think that maybe this is about the desensitization (laughs) of adulthood as well (laughs) which is that do you know what i mean So the feeling Mm. that i like is the feeling that you hate it because it must have been so intense as a child?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you should give Easy another crack. i, I what take century. I'm, I'm going to do a rival first. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me work so my way. Don't watch all up these films,
0: guys in a row because the, this podcast is not responsible for people's mental health oh, after Jesus. seeing all these films. <laughs> <laughs> Here. So, we're now going to go into Unexpected Medium, otherwise known as uh, anime. I don't know nothing, uh, enough about this, so you're going to have to explain it. I've seen some, Is this a cartoon series? So,
1: Neon Genesis Evangelion is Thank a. Um, it was an anime series originally of 24 episodes. Um, they're each half an hour long. And the Series ended in a manner that was just really not acceptable to the majority of the fans. So the creator Mm -hmm. went back and made two films initially. The first film was sort of a reimagining of the entire series, so there would be it was redrawn completely from memory. Um, Mm -hmm. but it would sort of condense the 24 episodes into a feature length film, and then the second film was what the ending should have been, what What was a more sort of appropriate ending for the TV series. You can watch the two films as standalone if you can't be bothered going back and trawling through the 24 episodes. I have done both. Um, it is huge in theme. Um, it, it's basically about these Evangelions, which are huge robots piloted by children, um, only very special children um, are able to pilot them. They are piloted by their mind. Um, so they effectively become at one with the robot. Um, they are necessary because the earth has been attacked by these things called angels. Which, I mean, the religious connotations in this show is just off the chart. Um, the mm-hmm. angels uh, are trying one by one to destroy the earth in ever more imaginative ways. And the only things that can destroy them are the evangelians. Um, It It's... It explores a whole bunch of um, themes around man's desire to be God or God-like, um, uh, where man falls in the scope of the universe, um, family, um, so basically the head of the Evangelian Research Unit is the father, the very distant father of one of the kids who pilots it, so there's a whole family drama going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's hugely traumatic themes dealt with um through the kids of abandonment. Um one of their mothers um has a psychotic break and tries to kill them. You know, there's there's huge, huge Indeed. stuff dealt with um in the form of quote unquote a cartoon. Um I did a dissertation a hundred years ago back at uni on anime and there's a huge tranche of it that is very misogynistic and <laughs> yeah. and just gross, to be honest. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of sort of repressed um, sexual desires being, you know, drawn out literally in characters out there. But if you if you have the time to to look through anime with a more discerning palette, you find some absolute gems of stuff out there. Um, and I cannot recommend Neon Genesis enough. Um, in it's ent- it is entertaining. It, you know, it doesn't break your brain at all. Um, it leaves you loads of room for imagination. And, you know, if there's any opportunity for cosplay in 2021, <laughs> it should be embraced wholeheartedly. I like Ray the best if anybody is interested um (laughs) so yeah that is that is the one that um I was very pleasantly surprised with in um in answer to one of your earlier questions this was recommended to me um by a housemate of mine a hundred years ago I, I think I was 19 when I lived with him and it was actually playing out in Australia on a channel called SBS which is a Sort of almost a community. It was almost a community level channel out there then. Um, so that's how I came across it. It was very much by accident and from recommendation. So this is my recommendation to you to seek it out. Okay, yeah. Uh, it it does sound
0: quite intense. It certainly fits the categories <laughs> here. I would say, yeah. And so you think? um see, so, so you think it's a lot of allegory. Is that is that why it's, it resonates? It's, it's huge. huge. It's
1: it's it's very much lifted from the Bible and from biblical stories. You know, there are characters called Lilith and Adam and you know the Lance of Lodginus is involved. And um so it, it kind of takes all these mythical elements of the Bible and twists it into a pretty interesting um action story. Um yeah, and you do—you do actually really care about the kids. You care about the characters a lot. You know, one of them in one of the films, one of the main characters dies, and you—you you feel very aggrieved by this, which is—which is crazy because you know it's a drawing. So, yeah, I—I I highly recommend it. Well, I'm going to try it based on this because I would never have known. I will lend it to you. I—I I have the uh, the massive silver case box set. <laughs> oh, I just um
0: from the very little I know about it I had no idea that that was what it was about yeah I actually was more children's based and I thought it was um a little bit more um mystery of the week or you know exploration of the week or something and it seems to me there's a lot of family yeah like you said in religious iconography I will now go on to mine in the same vein so I um I deeply love Hayao Miyazaki so I had to kind of mention something uh made by him in this uh, category but I did think a little bit about Wally and about UP first oh. I was like do I want to go down a Pixar route because they're probably two of my favorite Pixars and um I know a lot of people were moved by UP but actually it's Wally that that means the most to me because I just um I I love a story
1: that's also about like ecology. Mm. I I haven't seen it. Uh, No. What? Sorry. What is it about roughly? Oh God, Wally. Yeah. Um... Uh, right.
0: Uh, in the near future, or maybe far future, Earth is a bit of a trash planet now. No one lives. There's just little trash compactor robots like Wally, whose job is to just make everything into a nice, packed trash block and then set it all up until things start to uh improve on the planet. All the humans are on a spaceship monitoring and this is actually I think it's not the near future it is the far future I now remember because it's years and years it is like 800 years or something of not knowing that anything's happening and then one day Wally finds a uh, sprout a little green shoot of something and then he goes on this adventure because people robots from the um, spaceship come down to try and find out what whether this means that life is now possible because basically the humans kind of want to get back to earth yeah. although as, as it on you realize that the humans are so set because they've all been born on this space because it's so far in the future they actually don't really know what earth means and what being human means and it's kind of a there's also a little love story where Wally falls in love with another robot called Eva and it's he's basically following her so it's got that kind of anthropomorphizing again but um but basically I think it's about what does it mean to be human if you're no longer on your planet and also a morality tale of if you've completely destroyed the planet can you still (laughs) carry on yeah. so but there's just something about it which is i don't know just it's just it's really human and it's about a robot sounds gorgeous and he doesn't even say anything except for wow he he can't even speak he just makes little and uh, yeah oh my god you have to watch it you have to have to watch it but anyway, i will because this has been going on forever <laughs> i need to go to my actual pick. um <laughs> which is not Pixar. which is which is studio ghibli and which is
1: spirited away and nearly with princess mononoke have you seen that yeah I- I think that's the only one I have. Oh, oh, maybe I saw it a very long time ago, but I think it's the uh, it's sort of an outlier for me. I think I've seen everything else. I think, yeah. I think Miyazaki films are
0: always uh, about our relationship with nature again and who we are through how we speak to like tree spirits or what have you. Um, uh, and My Neighbor Totoro is my favorite film ever, but I'm not talking about that. I'm actually going to talk about Spirited <laughs> Away because Spirited Away for me is the film which most resonates as to what it means to feel. Like you don't know who you are, like you don't know what you're doing through life, that you might be empty, that people are empty inside and what are we doing and do you need to work your way up to getting what you want, what happens when you're separated from your family, it's like like hit after hit of all these beats of what it means to be a person and what do you do when you're stuck in this situation where people don't get who you are and it's all so foreign. But I think the the biggest thing for me is not actually the main character who I most resonate with. It's no name. Do you, do you, do you know, no name, which is this ghost- yeah. ghostly apparition, I don't even know what it is, a spirit, a ghostly apparition, which is consuming everything to try and uh, um heal the or fill the void inside and I've never seen anything in a movie which is so encapsulated in a kind of humorous way uh yeah. what we're trying to do as consumers on the planet so I just um and the fact that he's befriended uh by the protagonist and, and they just have this uh, I presume it's a he as well but no idea because I've just gendered it terrible the, I think I don't want to say he. he's referred yeah, to as a he yeah. oh, I was yeah. referred to as he I'm gonna go in <laughs> with day know. though to be yeah, be uh, uh, non-binary, um, specific. Uh, I just think no name does nothing except for consume, and yet we all see ourselves in that and how we can still be empty inside, even though we're trying to. And that's what I sometimes feel like walking through life. It's like I've got to watch this, I've got to go to this place, FOMO of social media, and all these things. And this was obviously made years ago before we weren't in the mess we're in now. Yeah. Um, and so kind of that's all I really want to say about that is that No Name's Journey within Spirited Away is actually the thing for me, which is the biggest representation of humanity and how anime is the, is the best way to kind of convey that or
1: animation is. Uh, yeah, did you, feel, did you feel like that too for Spirited um, I never picked up on that as a metaphor actually, so thank you. That's completely given it a different slant for me. Um, I think the the one thing that really stuck with me about that film was her parents turning into pigs. Yes. <laughs> um, which I, I guess reinforces that same message. Um, but yeah, that's quite a it's, it feels violent that scene. The, the the fury with which they're just they're eating and consuming and, and have yeah. no care for anything else, they have no care for the the child that they've you know ignored and forgotten about now. Um and yeah, then the whole stuff with the witch. At the end, yeah, just or grandma or whatever. I don't, know. I don't know. That's the, the right. Sisters.
0: there's a, there's a lot of other familial things going on there. So
1: yeah, I mean, I I I don't think I yeah, I have looked at it with a sharp enough eye to to pick up what they what he's trying to say there. But it's a hell of a film. Yeah, it is just. It's a, a journey. Great movie. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but I think you're right about the pig parents because I think the reason why No Name speaks a bit more to me is that the pig parents, it's you know what's being trying to be said there, and you see it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of in your face. And and like that's the whole point of the anime aspect of it as well. The literal, like you said, disregard of who you are as a person that you become consumed with it. What I like about No Name is that they don't know it's happening. And that's what more speaks to me. We don't know things are too bad until it's too late. That kind too of late. aspect. Rather than the just completely selfish which is a really good visual thing and it's it's fun to watch it's also terrifying but um I think yeah there's something about the it, it creeping up on you Rather mm. than us, because I don't think he, most humans. I still think people are good. Most humans know about the bad things they're doing to one another when they say a stupid comment online, or when they're you know not recycling or damaging the environment and things like that. And I just feel that that sometimes I feel like the message is better when it is not quite thrown in your face, but also is visually put there as the show not tell. Mm. I think the next one's a bit of a mess <laughs> i think we're both like uh, well okay, okay. So let's have the conversation now then which i wanted to have earlier, yes. which is do, does a film have to be about your gender about someone who is of your gender to speak to you and of course the answer is no but there mm-hmm. are some things which are more specific to women than are to men and haven't been shown which is part of the reason why this. Podcasts exists because of my kind of ongoing anger when I see something where I think a female character or, or a story is not being played out in the way it would be for a woman but when it comes mm. to trying to be something that speaks to humanity I think I go a bit down the man in humanity route because I do see myself as that person because I don't believe it's gendered. So there's a kind of negative and positive here. You know, it's good. We want to get to a place where you see a person's story and you identify with it. But there's the flip side of stories are not all exactly the same. And being a a black man or a disabled white woman or any number of the different categories that we put ourselves in, are not going to be the same. So you can still have the universality of I understand what you're going through, but at the same time, I could never truly understand exactly how it has been for you. So this category is yeah. supposed to be about a, a female issue particularly. So let's go with yours, because I think yours works better. <laughs> and then we'll go with how I failed my
1: own categorization. So your film here is... Is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, this is not a Franny McD- McDormand fan cast. The a and it's just- <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Nothing. She like just. That. She just. She just happens to be awesome and in a lot of awesome stuff. Um, so this is about a woman whose daughter has been brutally raped and murdered, um, and the local police have done. Fucking nothing, basically, to help her find the killer. Or in her mind, they've done nothing. Yes. Um, so it is about one woman's quest for justice for her daughter. And catchily, the way she we are introduced to her is her putting up three bill <clears throat> billboards outside of her town of Ebbing, Missouri, that um, draw attention by name to the sheriff for not for not having solved this murder. Yeah. That is a mother's loss, um, I, I presume, is just something nobody uh, can grapple with unless they have kids. Um, I don't. You don't either. So um, I am not in a really um, a great position to be able to judge what that pain is like. Suffice it to say it is probably worse than in any other pain that you will ever go through um and a mother's grief is going to be different to a father's grief just by the fact that they have different relationships to that child uh, the child was obviously a physical part of of the mother um in this story the father is not really around and it is inferred that he has been pretty violent with them in the past um which adds a completely new layer to the justice for my daughter um theme in here um I'm I'm sorry I'm talking about grief again do not be sorry
0: it's a very intense human emotion unfortunately with us all being mortal everyone's going to feel it so I think we don't talk about grief enough you go wild
1: yeah I agree actually I think grief needs to be discussed on a, a much more open level I think a lot of people are terrified of it a lot of people are terrified of speaking to people who have lost people um, recently. They don't really know what to say. And, you know, that, that exacerbates the problem a lot of the time. Um, and so rather than that being the case in this film, the the protagonist is literally throwing it in their face saying, you have, you are responsible for not having helped me through this grief. You haven't helped me find the perpetrator of this hideous violence um and you know she really puts the well oh, I don't really want to f- spoil the film but you know she kicks them up the backside significantly and a number of events unfold
0: and there's a lot of dark humor as well I think that um I think the difference between because is it Martin McDonough I think who's the yeah he's the director I think the difference between just because they've both got Francis McDormand in it like Nomadland isn't isn't designed to be an amusing film. It's not trying to cut the grief of comedy. There's a couple of things that make you laugh, but it's supposed to be just about day to day Whereas I think Three Billboards is about that line of black humour when the worst things happen. Um, and I think that's something really human. How laughing in the face of death and destruction kind of.
1: Yeah. I mean, specific, Specifically for me, um, I identify with her character a lot because that is, I can guarantee, probably how I would be in that situation. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas, you know, in a lot of films, you see you see the mother depicted as falling apart. Um, you know, unable to get out of bed, waves of of sorrow and emotion, and the man having to be stiff up a lip, let's, you know, carry on, hide my feelings, and eventually, you know, break down and punch someone in the face. Um, whereas this to me is a, a much more accurate portrait of resilience where you don't have the liberty, you don't have the freedom to sit down and fall apart and cry in a heap. This woman doesn't have that option, you know, she's she's not rich by any means of um means of expression and she has to get food on the table and she's trying to survive in this life whilst putting to bed some absolutely unspeakable horrors that she's been through. So she has to keep going. Um, And the way she does that is through really dark humour. And, yeah, I think that is how a lot of people do deal with stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is a lot less of the... Overblown histrionics than you would think being shown in cinema these days.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so it's it's great for an example of. I hate saying this, but I also like the concept of a strong female character. Like she's strong because she has to be, and she reacts in a way where she's not breaking down and crying. And that, that, but that doesn't mean she doesn't adequately um, uh, show how much pain she's feeling inside and how what she needs to be doing about it I think there's definitely something when it comes to you know like yeah child murder or something that happens to 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 your child which is which like you said earlier is like nothing like any other pain um and that you don't need to necessarily show that as a woman just crying in the Mm. corner because often what parents I'm guessing most want is to feel like they're doing something whether it's to make themselves feel better, whether it's to pr- pr- uh, preserve the memory of their child or even revenge or any of that, and she doesn't even want any of those things. She she just wants the knowledge and she wants justice. Um, although the, ending's the hen- ending is hilarious, it's it's uh, it's the perfect ending of a film of that nature, I would say, without spoiling anything.
1: I think also there's a moment in the film about three quarters of the way through where she she stops sort of doing things her way and she takes quite a male form of direct violence. Yeah. Um, and she regrets it. It wasn't the right thing to do. And she, she realises that um, as the consequences become clear. Um, so I, I found that quite interesting, that sort of foray into the punching someone in the face element of (laughs) male grief throwing
0: things to set buildings on fire exactly (laughs) But I think there's nothing wrong with showing women showing physicality. I have to say films I really like like Edge of Tomorrow or Mad Max Fury Road are are films where you see these these literally physically stronger women using anger in a what we would say is a traditionally male way as in physically or or, or emotional physicality which is what a lot of you get poor, poor men on screen when they have this thing oh I'm so upset and I can't possibly talk about it I have to punch someone so, It's it's still dominating films from anything from like Tarantino to the MCU now, and it's ridiculous, Um, which I think is why a lot of people at the moment are enjoying Loki. I don't know if you're watching it, but there's so much sitting around talking about feelings between men that you Mm. just don't see enough in something that's so prestigious and so popular. That um, it's just, uh, but then you know that's female director, or that's a male writer, and um, it's that 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 blur, blurring of gender stereotypes is wonderful, and I think that's what McDormand does in Three Billboards. long enough now I know what my film's going to be because I've actually come up with something which is decent Great. but I'm going to quickly talk about the things I put in this category because neither of these things are really about a female character one of the films barely has any women in it at all but it spoke to me so strongly I wanted to say well, this film has nothing to do with me, and yet I see myself. So who's to say where the general screen needs to be It And that is Signs, the M. Night Shyamalan film, which is a film I've watched many, many times. I'm not religious. Uh, I'm not Mel Gibson, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> Thank God. I do actually <laughs> identify with the, the daughter, though, because I leave half-drunk um, glasses of water <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Uh, And again, this is an alien film again, so I don't want to talk about it too much. So I just want to say that's a film about seeing a sign, whether it's religious, superstitious or otherwise, because I am a bit superstitious, even though I'm not religious. And using that to further your own causes and get on with life. And there's nothing wrong. I think superstition is a inherently human quality to have, which makes no sense. And the other film I wanted to quickly mention, uh, which actually isn't about space for once, is Three Hundred. Again, a film mostly about semi-naked men, so (laughs) definitely um, (laughs) uh, uh, it's a film for me. Uh, But basically, it's Lena Headey's (gasps) wife character, Queen Gorgo. The the point I wanted to raise about this film is that in Three Hundred, Queen Gorgo, played by Lena Headey, is absolutely amazing she is seen with strengths she has her own journey to go through even though it's a very small part of the plot uh she is absolutely loved and adored by uh, her husband and uh treated uh with respect and um looks absolutely divine and i just think a character like that where um we have so many films that are about how women are uh, downtrodden or how they're treated how society treats women and this is a film set so much in the past where um she is kind of giving an equal status, even if she's not equal in the film. It's such an important to have those type of characters on screen who, you know, do feel all of these things, uh, but also have this strength. I really just enjoy this female strength. But the film I actually want to talk about is probably Portrait of a Lady on Fire. There's, there's, there are many films where you have, and it's, you could say it's the equivalent of Call Me By Your Name, um, uh, it, it, it's it's a film that speaks about female love in uh, history, which I, I I think is just only ever going to be made about two women. It's it's just not the same if you have a man and a woman or two men. I don't think. Uh, and I'm not gay, so perhaps so again, it's not my position to say. But there were things about that relationship and um, the way it happened, the, uh, the 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 physical nature of it and the um, knowing glances and the fact that all of this was against the backdrop of um, a society, a class and basically a world that thought either what you were doing couldn't exist or if it did, it was illegal. Plus all of these, I have to go marry a prince mm-hmm. and, and all, all of these things. And the um, going back to Nomadland, like the, the roughness of the island weather And then I was talking to someone um, on Twitter about the, the...
1: You've seen the film? I haven't. I am dying to see it. I've been dying to see it for ages. There's a scene which is just basically
0: female voices and it's just this group coming together. I can't mm-hmm. remember if there's any men in the scene. There might be a couple of men in the scene as well, but basically it's villagers and they are um, meeting and talking and who sing to make themselves heard. And it's this guttural, uh, just vowel sounds that become this. That That is a film about literal female voices being heard. Mm-hmm. And that like, literally resonates with me on a physical level. I can hear those. And, you know, they say a, a parent with their child or, you know, dogs and they can only hear things at, at, at um, uh, certain mm. levels. And that's how I felt. I felt like it was a woman's call. <laughs> Watching that film, I just felt something deep inside about being a woman, even though not everything within that film was exactly how I would experience or understand. So that that film is, like, deeply feminine. Yeah. And that and literally resonates with me. So I think I've met the
1: brief finally. Uh, <laughs> I think you smashed it. I think um another another thing that's just occurred to me actually um in this vein is pieces of a woman um which is about the a woman who I've only seen the birthing bit and not the rest of it. Oh god. I mean, that that bit, yeah. I mean, it, I, I was very surprised to find out that had a male director because I thought that birthing scene was done really, really well. Um, and I was also surprised to find Shia LaBeouf in it for personal reasons. Uh, <laughs> I forgot. But um, Vanessa Kirby in that is sensational at capturing what it must feel like to have you know experienced motherhood for for 10 minutes and then and then had it taken
0: yes and she hasn't had children either so it's like it's you don't have to have been a mother to still adequately portray at least to us and i think to a a lot of other mothers i've heard other people yeah critique it and say oh i can't believe how she knows how yeah Mm birthing scenes is the perfect example because in a quiet place as well i don't know if, with, um, oh um, god doing, yeah it's just um yeah this is just there should there should be more of those definitely yeah context specific maybe not just like women <laughs> <rather> specific, <yeah. laughs> not not just a montage yeah <laughs> We don't need a crowning shot, thanks. Um, yeah. Sorry, I cut, I cut you off. That? Did you want to talk
1: more about? Me? No, that's fine. What was that French film that came out around two thousand? And it had the it had the crowning shot of the birth. Oh, uh, was was it Irresistible or no Romance? It's called Romance. Uh, I don't recommend. it. <laughs> I think it was a. Uh, it was. Uh, sort of its ethos was it was there to shock it was just a a film that was shocking to be for shocking sake which you know the French love that yeah
0: and and I'm saying you saying not watch it but maybe because it's not a good film and me at least being judgmental and do I want to see that it speaks to cultural oppression as it is because I shouldn't be in a position where I I don't want to see, but then also I don't particularly want to see like porn level sex shots as well. Whereas I'm very happy to see people, um, you know, make love on screen. But I I think I, I, but then, you know, you have a female director, maybe you do have a sensitive actual birth because let's face it, I don't really know that much about it. I've never been in a room where someone's been given birth. Like it's uh, one born every minute has been very (laughs) helpful to me in understanding
1: (laughs) that, but that's a documentary. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know Bianca's um, a missionary. What well, was a missionary? Right. Sorry. Right. Because she was raised by nuns, but now she's on a sabbatical so she can experience the world. Isn't that neat? I mean, so he's crazy, right? I mean, he's crazy. Yeah.
0: What are we gonna do? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, okay, so, right, now to, down to, um, a lot of the films we've mm-hmm. talked about, not everything passes the Beckdale test as it is, and I think that, you know, the reason why the podcast is called Beyond Beckdale is because we realise that this test is not the only way to show how women are portrayed on and off screen and, and how you know it doesn't have to be all of this although it does it does help that you know I it's very rare for me to say um I've seen a film which massively passes the Bechdel test in multiple places and I go oh that's a terrible film but, but it, it, it does happen but I wanted to pick up on two films when you mentioned your one, I was <sighs> like, oh do I want that. that and then I thought what does that speak to to my practice and my one was also oh do I want that director because I talk about him quite a lot and he's not like, great for women so uh this is the fail fails the Bechdel tests uh but passes the humanity test section and uh, you're me.
1: Uh... I think you're not so I'm not outrageous to be like no, because I just I just know like based on the the name of this podcast how outrageous this is, um but no, but we're inter- we're interrogating this. <laughs> I love Lars and the Real Girl, which is <laughs> about a <laughs> a man who is crippled by shyness and is in the throes of uh, an incredible grief at losing his mother. He is unable to talk to people at work, at church. He lives in the garage of his brother's house. He he is routinely avoiding even talking to his brother and and, uh, his wife, who is constantly trying to get him to come over for dinner and get out of his shell. One day um, a box arrives at his house and it is a life-sized anatomically correct sex doll. However, in Lars's mind, um it is his new girlfriend. So there's a lot of really cheap pot shots you can take and this film could have gone down a really gross road. Um and that's pretty much why I didn't see it for ages. I just thought oh god this is going to be some bawdy comedy about you know, the exploits mm-hmm. of the sex doll. Um, it is the absolute opposite of that. Um, the, the I'm going to refer to her as a character because she she really is the character Bianca, who is the doll, um, arrives in um, these terribly cheap, sort of tacky stripper-looking clothes, and uh, Lars introduces her to the family as a missionary from Brazil who is very religious and um, can't sleep in the same. Room is him because she's so religious so could she please sleep in the spare room of his brother's house which turns out to be his mother's old room um he dresses her all up in very conservative clothes like very you know respectable clothes and everything um she has a twin set doesn't she that kind of thing um she's she's disabled um which is how he gets around uh the the mobility aspect of having a doll for a girlfriend, um, and so it's true. <laughs> Obviously, the th- the town initially think he's absolutely barking mad, but um, <laughs> the town loves Lars so much that they completely go along with this delusion of his, and that's what it is. It's a delusion, and it's a psychological way for him to cope with the loss of his mother. Um, and you know, the, Bianca ends up influencing loads of people in the town. She ends up part of the church, the church craft group. You know, she 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 volunteers everywhere. She she becomes a member of this town, even though she is just a representation of Paul Lars's grief. And as um, as the film goes on, uh, Bianca gets sicker and sicker. To the point where Bianca dies one day because Lars no longer needs this delusion to be able to come out of his grief and be able to communicate with people anymore so I mean that that is a big spoiler but that you have to get past the, <laughs> the cheapness of the initial gag which I, I mean I really think it is only there because that's the only kind of way you could get a full life-size doll rammed into into a film. I mean, we've already had Mannequin, and it is a genius film. No one will ever come close to doing Mannequin again, Andrew McCarthy's finest oeuvre. Um, So (laughs) it it is a device rather than a a humour sort of plot, and it is a beautiful film. I think
0: you've made me realise that actually it's the perfect film for this category because... True humanity is to look at something which you know you might not agree with or makes you feel uncomfortable and understand the person underneath and understand a way of looking at something without the judgment and seeing it for what it is. And you beautifully explained the plot there. You you really sympathize with Ryan Gosling in this role. He's done some like really interesting, strange things, mm-hmm. and this. Uh, is no different, and I think it brought him a lot to it. He might have been, uh, he might have been semi-famous at that point anyway. But it's certainly, people opened their eyes when they um, saw this role, and um, it is something that yeah, we either snigger at or we look down on or think it's perverse or something like that. And clearly, that character had some things he was dealing with, but wasn't in any way being perverse about the relationship it was a sublimation or some other kind of Freudian concept of uh, his love for a person and it also shows how everyone else loved him so much in the community and wanted to help him that they would stifle their you know bitchy reactions or natural feelings so it really is a perfect film encapsulating humanity good
1: on you Anything else you want to say about Lars and the Real Girl? No, I don't think so. I just think it's it's wonderful, um, and yeah, it's it's Ryan Gosling right before he got super famous. Um, mm. So it's he's got a I think there's a trifecta of films: uh, this half Nelson and something uh, Blue Valentine. Uh, which yeah. were all sort of made in really quick succession and they show his range. It's a bit like the they humanity range. trilogy right there,
0: isn't it? Yeah. Blue Valentine's a film I've not finished because it's too much, too much for me. Oh, it is, it is a rough watch. I've watched Manchester by the Sea and there's, I thought about these kind of films in this category, but some films are just. It's like a toying with human emotion and although I enjoyed the film or whatever enjoyed the film, I didn't necessarily feel like those films were encapsulating the wider human condition, they were more about the individual heartbreak of someone which actually isn't something that can resonate with me. Like I had a, but before I get to my last film, maybe I, I quickly had a list that you might've seen about some films that people always say are like the best examples of the human condition and don't mean much to me. And um, Wonderful Life, I do think it's a great film, but I don't, uh, you know, I like saying Boy Clarence, but um it wasn't quite what people have made it out to be. And I think sometimes people just put things on a bed and too much. Um, Forrest Gump is a film I don't even really actually like that much, whereas some people would say it's the perfect example of the kind of uh, triumph of this human spirit. But I actually feel like that film is a bit offensive in parts and also, um, I don't know, like... <sighs> Pandering to funny film gimmicks, which is not a bad thing, and it's great the way it was done, but also, um, and Zemeckis does kind of that and that kind of thing. And then the worst case is something which I like to talk about quite a lot because I think it annoys people, which is I don't really rate Lord of the Rings that much. Three of those films, uh, which don't pass the Bechdel test by the way, in like nine plus hours, um, so there's something there, but I can see that it's uh, it's about male friendship, is it?
1: is it isn't it just about boring oh I hate those films I hate the books I hate everything to do with them I think they're the most overblown oh in the bin get we in don't the bin. how <laughs> have you made three films out of a book that is 50 pages long thank you very much Oh, the Hobbit! I actually, but I people I actually prefer
0: the Hobbit. So, but I just, but I don't think the Hobbits have got any wider message that Lord of the Rings are desperately trying to put in there. Uh, but we are in, the, we are in the minority, Courtney. Let me tell yeah. you, yeah. But it's the safe space here where we can go, Peter oh, <laughs> Jackson. Yeah, but I can see it. It's just the 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 definition of this podcast is that I feel it and I don't feel it. I can yeah. see I can see how some other people feel it. And you know, the, the human condition still is a subjective thing. We think it's subjective, but actually, you know, given that we've talked about films that one of us loves and the other hates, says so it all, <laughs> doesn't it? But still brings a strong
1: reaction. Are there oh. any
0: um, are there any things that you think are trying to get a, a rise out of you or a strong emotion and they, they never did it?
1: I think Lord of the Rings is really up there. I absolutely despise those films. Um I think I don't get on with the fantasy genre generally um so it's pretty much my worst nightmare um <laughs> like tree people and fairies and, I, like I, beards, I, know. Know. I like tree people no I like tree people don't give a fuck let me tell you
0: so <laughs> that's what I like about him but anyway <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, there's loads of stuff that grinds my gears, um, but I will be here for a really long time if I go through it all. I think. But nothing, nothing also...
0: that you think is particularly trying to appeal to you that that doesn't.
1: Oh, not not off the top of my head, to be honest. I might. I'll phone you later if if. Yeah, give me a
0: little time. voice now and I'll put <laughs> it in. Well, I hate
1: this and I hate this. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, I will now go to my um, last film, uh, which is, guess what? It's also sci-fi and about space. Yay! Um, Because apparently I I see myself above all other humans (laughs) and can only look down. And
1: And, starring (laughs) Timothy Chalamet. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You can only see yourself (laughs) through the medium of Chalamet, which is like, you know, again, we need another therapy podcast for that, Um, which is Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Uh, again it's about time tick so I like that 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 resonates with me Uh, but it's really about love it's the closest that man's going to get to telling a love story and maybe having some women he he tries really hard you know he's got Jessica Chastain as well as Anne Hathaway Um, of course they can't possibly talk to each other because he separated them (laughs) by time and space But, um, uh, yeah, it's also about parenting. It's also about being there. It's absolutely about grief as well, which I'm only just realising. It's about missing out on things. And it's also about the human need for space exploration, which I, I think that one of the true... Parts about being of this species is how we think we're so great we want to spread ourselves across the universe there's nothing more human than thinking that humans are either absolutely terrible or the best thing ever there's no gray Mm, yeah but I think Christopher Nolan truly thinks humans are great I don't think yeah even when he's showing the shittiness of them he he still shows a reason why in a film like, you know, The Prestige, for example, or, or Memento, you can still feel... He, he's he's really good at making you feel sympathy for characters if you can't feel empathy. Um, but Interstellar for me is, like... Uh, I actually think it's a little bit about the robot relationships as well. Like, characters mm-hmm. like TARS, uh, the, the way they've hu- humanised something that is basically like a... VHS tape, I don't know, with legs, is actually shocking just by humour and by being able to show a commonality uh, with humans. There's something actually that's a bit scary how manipulated I can be into thinking, oh my God, please don't let these robots die because actually what we need for humanity is just someone who can see us as we are or makes us feel like we're somehow understood or um, still loved even if we're not necessarily at our best and I think that's what Interstellar shows. It shows characters who aren't necessarily doing things for the right reasons or they think they are or they they have a trolley problem issue where it's do I do something for my individual family or do I do something for helping mankind on a larger scale which is obviously Matthew McConaughey's dilemma as the protagonist in the movie but also um, Anne Hathaway, a great character where uh, you know, seen as a smart, independent woman, but actually is really desperately pining for a man she had a short relationship with who is now and could be dead. Is that a spoiler alert? on another planet a long, long way away? And then, obviously, the the scenes on the I wish I forget what it's called, but the water planet, where I think you really feel like how precious life is because every minute they're down there, time is, is changing, yes, but also. You were alive, and then ten minutes—that was sorry, of five minutes later, thirty seconds later—a tsunami has come and 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 destroyed you just because of that time thing. And the film is long, and it goes through so many things. And then you also have Matt Damon, and there's that whole aspect. There's nothing more human than seeing Matt Damon pop up as a little cameo um, in a movie. But um, I think, yeah, for, for it does have female characters in it, and they are given due importance. Mm. But really, it's about father and daughter relationship and how time affects that uh, to the point where the daughter then becomes the the older one and the the, the father becomes a child. It's about, I suppose, seeing the child within yourself and how time affects you and are you still the same person? Uh, And you are and you're not. And so I suppose for me, it is a defining film about humanity, even though so much of it is set in space. Mm. Uh, did you watch, yeah. did you watch it again in the end know
1: you said you were going to yeah no I've got a copy here that I'm um I watched it the first time we watched it it had um for various boring reasons we had quite crap sound on it um, <laughs> no that's so, called Christopher Nolan so uh, yeah I think you're fine yeah <laughs> don't get me started on tenant. I think I understood about four lines of dialogue in that um but no, the, there was something wrong with the speakers, and the the sound in Interstellar is really important. There's these huge swells of um, orchestral music, so I really want to watch it again on a decent. Um, it's a Wonderful speaker. Soundtrack. Yeah. It's brilliant, and I I don't even remember this film coming out. I don't know what happened, but I just missed it completely the first time it, it came out, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought, considering it's this. Big blockbuster epic. It was really intelligent. Um, yeah. You know, there was there's certainly elements of the quantum physics sort of stuff towards the end where I'm like, I have no fucking idea what's going on, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> um, you know, I kind of i guessed the i guessed the twist about half an hour into the film, but that's not important. It's the, it's it was always about the journey. Yes, of how, of how you got there, and I really loved the 360 sort of. Degrees of time you whime with uh, Murph, and you yeah. know from from inception to to death. I, I thought that was brilliant. I mean, he he is trying to grapple with uh, <laughs> the basic understanding of physics as we know it. So perhaps his attention isn't so much on on the romantic.
0: What a bastard! I oh, know, yeah.
1: so rude. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought it is it is uh, absolutely. Um standout example of the genre, except for the whole lack like of female representation in.
0: But as I said earlier, the reason why I'm happy to include this in my list is because I see myself in all of these characters. Okay. Hardly any of them uh, are the same as me, and I'm unlikely to ever have their experiences. <laughs> but I can I can still know what it feels like to be human and I think Nolan is really obsessed with that idea of who are we and what do we do to push ourselves forward to make our species better yeah Um, and so therefore I can get over that it's not someone who has the, the same biological bits as me or same point of view as me as long as they're representative of wanting to be the best of our species and so I'm always going to champion that.
1: I think there is there is something interesting around how um, he's written the the um, boundary pushing character as the daughter rather than the son in this because yes. it totally could have been a sausage fest otherwise, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know in in uh, in the sort of the character development the son is the one that's very stick in the mud very um, no, we're staying on this planet we've got to just try and muddle our way through it. And the daughter's the one with the big dreams and, you know, the big plans and the scientific brain and everything. And you normally do think of scientific sort of stuff as being male attributes. So I am pleased that, um, that he, he didn't um, fall into that stereotype. Yeah, I totally agree. Like Following in your
0: father's footsteps, even though the, you're the daughter, is an mm. excellent message. Um, and I think it comes out more and more. I think we've moved forward a bit, actually, that you can see that more. Yeah, I think so, 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 that's a positive about Christopher Noda. Let's us end on that. Is there anything you want to say? Have you enjoyed this experience, or
1: has it been too much of an emotional roller coaster? I love it. I love it. I always love coming on here and talking to you, and and <laughs> actually having a reason to sit down and think about these things is really rewarding for me. So thank you very much for having me again you
0: are welcome. We can come on the set th- for a third time and it'll be, what's the tiniest, most inconsequential stupid movies you can think of and why do you like them? Because <laughs> I, I, I feel like that could be a whole other thing. I do sometimes want to just watch something and not think about it. I, I think maybe came about because I was like oh we think so much about these things but it is a pleasure to have you here thank you always for your funny and for your insightful comments on movies and I suppose I've got to go and watch some NGE now can I call it NGE is that all the kids you can yeah okay good that's amazing. <laughs> I've never heard that before. I think your find is born out of the human condition called laziness. Uh, <laughs> and on that note, Courtney Hodgkiss, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Yay.